Dead characters do not yield spin-offs. I have a million points. <laughs> I've been rooting for the unicorn to show up ever since I saw it on the whiteboard. <laughs> there you go. This is Serious Business. Greetings and welcome to another episode of This is Serious Business. My name is Kristen and this week we are going to be talking historical movies and their lack of historical accuracy or meh. <laughs> this is all prompted by 300 Rise of an Empire, which is the least historically accurate movie of all time. <laughs> that, that's actually not true, but um, they got some shit right. But anyway, I uh, have a lovely panel with me today, so I am going to kick it over to Michelle. Michelle, how's it going? It's going pretty well, Kristen. All right. Oh, I didn't think of a question. Uh, I have a question. Okay, you do it. Fuck. <laughs> Well, here's my question, because we were talking about historical things. What historical event would I most want to see as a movie? Okay. Um, I'm still thinking about, <laughs> about my answer to the question. I think I've been thinking a lot about Benjamin Franklin recently. And so I think I would like to see him flying his kite and the discovery of electricity. I think that would be, that would be really cool. All right. W so. Would you play it for laughs or would it be like a stirring moment? I think I would play it for last. I think I think a drama about I, Ben Franklin's really interesting. He has good and really good and really negative parts to him, but I think that uh, something for last would be fun. All right, that's an excellent answer. And uh, what, if anything, are you drinking this fine evening? I am drinking sweet, sweet, fresh, life-giving water. Yeah, for this Monday, Monday evening. That's fair. It's a school night and all. Mm -hmm. All right, so our other panelist is John. John, how are you going? <laughs> how are you doing? Well, doing well. All right, fantastic. What, going off of Michelle's brilliant question, what historical event would you like to see a movie made out of? Uh, Titanic. Um, <laughs> I got good news for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming out with what, a sequel. Did they already make that a movie? Yeah, I think it did okay. <laughs> All right, seriously, though. It's hard to think of what hasn't been made a movie. Um, well, I mean, you can't say something that's been made and want it better. So, I mean, Titanic is valid. <laughs> Maybe the whole space program. Mm. Like the NASA in the 60s and sort mm -hmm. of getting it off the ground. and not Maybe not just the, the Apollo missions, but all the early stuff, too. And just like That'd the whole really cool. coalescence of NASA. Because there's a, a good documentary series on Netflix... I forget the name of it. It's it's narrated by Gary Sinise. But it's basically like a seven-episode series that charts, like, the formation of NASA all the way to the present state of the space program, which is not very much. But um, I, I thought that whole thing was really interesting. Just, like, the how hard they had to look for astronauts and, and how, like, really insanely difficult it was for pilots to be qualified for the astronaut program mm -hmm. so i think that would be kind of that would be really neat yeah well they did some of that from the earth to the moon didn't they i think that's the thing i'm thinking of where they show like a bunch of the other missions that like weren't yes. disastrous yeah i actually forgot about that they, <laughs> they actually did a pretty good job but i mean that was that too was a long series and it was very decompressed um so i i don't know where i'm going with that. i don't, I don't know <laughs> You know what's a really good movie you should watch? Pitch. You should watch Space Cowboys. That's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And what, if anything, are you drinking this evening? I'm drinking a Jack Daniels and uh, Amaretto. Wow. I found, or somebody found, I, I forget, it may have been you, it may have been Michelle, but somebody found uh, a list of Disney cocktails. Oh, yeah. And one of them was a Gaston, which is oh yeah whiskey, amaretto, and cherry soda. And I just don't have the cherry soda in there, so I basically took the Disney part <laughs> out. Just made it harder. Yeah. I think it's unfair that Gaston has the obviously best drink. I mean, like, uh, unfair, yeah. totally. I can see that. Yeah. I guess he's probably like the hard booziest of some of the characters. Yeah. yeah. It fits his personality, I guess. They, they should have done something with eggs, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Because I think in that scene, like, he drinks, you know, like, giant mugs of beer. I have chosen eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and then swirl it with an antler. Yeah. And <laughs> all his decorating. All right. So, my historical, I mean, there's so many, but I, I would like to see um, a Boudicca movie. She was a uh, Germanic princess who went up against the Romans and kicked ass and took names, which is pretty cool. So it's good to have some lady warriors in there. Yeah. Look at you with your obscure history. It's <laughs> very nice. Yeah, mildly obscure. Uh, <laughs> I think the most obscure thing is how exactly do you pronounce and spell her name. I've seen it mm-hmm. in a million different ways. So there'll be some people who are like, who is she talking about? Uh... But I mean, that, that happens every episode. Yeah. What the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> um, speaking of Lady Warriors, 300 Rise of an Empire came out this past weekend. The <laughs> sequel to 300, which <laughs> had a lot of people going, wait, didn't they all die? Well, there's actually a naval battle at the exact same time, the Battle of Salamis. And so this movie is about, quote unquote, that. But um, I was the only one who braved seeing it. You guys seemed, like, hesitantly willing until I, like, took to Twitter and, like, just buried everyone who follows me Yeah, feed. which I was not expecting. That was an interesting plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thankful for their warning. Even though, it was was it the number one grossing movie this week? Yeah, I, I think, think it made, it like, 45 million or something. Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> doesn't make it good. It doesn't no, make no, it right. No, no, no. And I've seen other people, other classes who liked it. Um, and there are, you know, I said it was the least accurate movie of all time. There were some bits that sort of followed what happened. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll get to that. You guys have seen 300, though. Yes. Yes. So what did you think of that one? I really liked it. Mm. I thought it was fun. I thought it was visually very striking. I yeah. liked I liked the look of the movie. I liked the feel of the movie. It's historical accuracy. I'm, yeah. (laughs) It's augmented in places. Yeah, and I mean, it's also, not only do you have the fact that it's based on, you know, an historical event, but you also have the fact that it's based on a graphic novel. Yeah. Which I think Double adapted. Yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) Through the um, lens of Frank Miller. Yeah. So, but I I really enjoyed it. What, uh, What did you think about it, John? Yeah, I it was it was one of those books that when or one, sorry one of those movies that uh, went well. This is me at least. This isn't really everybody, but I had heard that they were making a movie out of this Frank Miller book, Three Hundred. And at the time, I was you know I had read Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One, so I was a Frank Miller fan. And Three Hundred came out in two thousand seven, so I had seen and read the Sin City movie and books so and I, I enjoyed those so I was like well there's another one coming out surely that must be worth checking out <laughs> um, so I read the book and you know 
the 300 graphic novels are really fast read. It's, um, it's like 30 pages. Yeah. yeah. And it's all very like visually driven. Mm. So I really like that. And then the movie was, you know, in true Zack Snyder style, the movie was very close, you know, shot by shot almost yeah. of the book. So it was fun to see like, oh, there's that panel and <laughs> this is the panel where they're all going off the cliff. But yeah, like Michelle said, it, it's just really visually great to watch. And at the time, there weren't really a lot of movies like that. I mean, yeah. movies that were shot, you know, all on a green screen, but, you know, the, the visuals were still very, like, painterly mm-hmm. and not so much like like a Star Wars prequel where it's just, like, assault of visual effects everywhere and it looks like a video game. The environments were computer-generated, but it was much more, like, passive. It was, it was much more like a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had a real, like, artistic-type look to it and it it looked similar to the book but it it was also it's i mean like not quite it also had its own Mm -hmm. i mean it's a movie but still yeah the abs didn't hurt either no absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) when 300 came out the thing to remember is at that time there hadn't really been anything like that before Yeah. yeah now it seems common on wait wait don't tell me they once described the show spartacus Mm-hmm. as like the movie 300, only not so restrained and subtle. Mm-hmm. 300 Rise of an Empire is like Spartacus, only not so restrained and subtle. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it almost, it's getting close to making me retroactively hate the first one. Be- Ooh, yeah. How? Because any racist elements or like sexist elements are like dialed up to 11 in this one. Uh. It's super uncomfortable. Like, they talk about, like, the origin of Xerxes mm-hmm. and how they show Rodrigo Santoro, who most ladies will probably know as Carl, the hot guy from Love Actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the one who plays Xerxes, and they show him, like, as himself. And then, like, <laughs> he goes into the desert and finds a cave full of hermits. Like, that's not the point of being a hermit, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like, there's I, one, two, three, four, four, why? You um, guys are doing it wrong. <laughs> exactly. There's, like, this whole thing about, like, he prayed to their gods and, like, came back pure evil. And I'm like, oh, God. And, <laughs> and just, like, you know, this obvious racial coding of, like, all the Greeks are, like, pasty, potato-faced white boys. And <laughs> all the Persians are dark-skinned, except that um, there were as many Greeks fighting for the Persians as there were fighting for the Greeks. Never mind that Greek isn't really a term that means anything because they're all different city-states. Yeah. Let me ask something. Yeah. Did Frank Miller have any sort of involvement with this? I don't think so. I didn't look that up. But there's no book. I think they just were like, hey, there was another battle going on. The first right. movie made a shitload of money. Let's get some right. boring guy to take the place of Gerard Butler. Because I'm wondering if... I'm wondering if they were trying to imitate Frank Miller's style because Frank Miller has a very distinct voice about the way that yeah. his characters speak. And, you know, nowadays, Frank Miller is just batshit crazy. He's, yeah. you know, he tries very hard to be, you know, like have a wow factor and be very bold. And, you know, with his last book, Holy Terror. Yeah. I mean, he got he caught a lot of Islamophobia. People were calling it like propaganda and he caught a lot of flack for it. So, I'm wondering if these the writers and the makers of this movie were trying to be, you know, like bold and extreme like Frank Miller and it came off 
the racism and the sexism that you were talking about, you know, like, I'm wondering if that's where it came from. I, I don't know what the, anyone's motivation was. I, mm-hmm. It just seems like kind of more straight up ignorance because like so much of our culture mm-hmm. is based on Greek culture. Mm-hmm. Like that shaped us so much. And so like the stuff with, they talk about like, oh, those Persians with, you know, their slaves and the, you know, rowing. I'm like, you had slaves rowing. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not that cut and dry. Like, the same thing with, you know, the Greek mercenaries who were fighting for the Persians because they paid. Like, it, it's very kind of good guys, bad guys. Mm-hmm. And there's we'll no ambiguity there. And just, like, that plus the coding of, like, how the casting is done is super mm. uncomfortable. If I had to guess... Now, again, I have not seen the movie. This is a... I've seen only the trailer. But if I had to venture an estimation... Mm-hmm. I would say that the producers of this movie, which was Zack Snyder and, you know, a couple of other people, I'm sure the history, at no point was the, the actual history a real concern. Yeah. I bet they were like, what action scenes can we have? What cool slow motion moments can we have? I mean, I bet the entire thing was driven by the special effect. Like, hey, hey we, we can do this scene where uh, a guy on a horse jumps where the uh, horse comes from i don't know he jumps from his <laughs> ship and he, and he goes down underwater and the horse runs up a sinking ship I, i'm it remembering this from the trailer awesome. and then the horse comes back out of the water and he's on fire and he stabs you know like it was like that like what cool action sequences could, you know like i bet it was like all right there's this battle you know and involved these guys and i I bet the history was not a real concern for them. It doesn't seem like it. Like, the day-to-day stuff, like, you know, you know, they fought in the open this one day. There was a storm that... But, like, the actual maneuvering... Yeah. They didn't really focus on. It was a little confusing, which sucks, because, like, this is... You know, Themistocles, who's the main guy, was, like, really clever and used a lot of traps. I mean, also, the Persians got wiped out by weather a lot. But just, like, some of the battle maneuvering, it just didn't make any sense. There's a lot of... It wasn't even shot well. They were, like, breaking the 180-degree rule a lot. Um, (laughs) A lot of characters, like, they had them... They shot it like they're making eye contact, but they're, like, across the ocean. Practically, like, there's (laughs) no way they can see each other. And, like... So many times in this movie, I was just sitting... It's predictable, because I was sitting there going, oh, God, don't do the thing. Please don't do the (laughs) thing. And then they did the thing. Like, Eva Green, who's... I mean, her character kind of sucked, but, like, what happened to her and what they did to it. But she was Mm -hmm. awesome, and her outfits were fantastic. But, like, she beheads this guy, she picks up the head, and she's, like, holding it, like, don't kiss it. Please don't... Oh, (laughs) come on! Um really weird sex scene which is mostly choking like she's trying to seduce him or whatever and he's got like no interest in her mm-hmm. but she's offering so he's like okay mm-hmm. um and i'm just sure. like don't don't do it please don't oh they're doing it yeah uh, well we couldn't have 300 without kind of a slightly awkward interesting looking sex scene right yeah so i mean th- Zack snyder has a- his own issues with sex scenes that are really uncomfortable yeah Oh, 300. I'm just going to play. You can't just make something sexy by playing Hallelujah over it. <laughs> that works. No, not not. But people keep trying. Yeah. But anyway. 300, Rise of an Empire. Not even dumb fun. If you want dumb fun, go see Pompeii. I've been meaning to ask you, because you guys watched Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Can Kit Harrington act? Kit Harrington. Which Jon one Snow. Is- 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, kind of. Jon Jon Snow doesn't really have a lot of range. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly freezing, terrified, bored. Yeah. And sad. And confused a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is like in the same facial range of emotion. Yeah. He had maybe five lines in Pompeii. But eventually, like, the mountain just starts doing its thing, and then it's fine. Yeah, so yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So for Sword and Sandal Flicks, if you want some dumb fun, go see Pompeii. Do not see 300. <laughs> it's made enough money. Yay! Uh, do you guys have any more? Nope. 300 yeah. We good? You want yeah, some more we drink? good. Yeah. More drinks? Okay. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a break and then come back and talk about more historical books, movies, TV? Mm-hmm. Eh. We'll figure something out. Yeah. So, well, Barry. Nothing will stop the march of my empire. I will attack the Greeks with my entire navy. And we're back. And John, I hear you have an update on your drink. Oh uh, yes, it's a margarita now. What kind? There's uh, some Jose in there, regular Jose Cuervo. Uh, a little bit of triple sec mm-hmm. and a little bit of margarita mix. Yeah, it's, it's just like lime, a lime margarita. Oh, okay. I, like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. That's straight up classic, classic. Got it. Okay. I just imagine oh. something radioactive. Did you salt the rim? No, no I, I was sugar. I don't typically like that. Yeah, really. especially a Monday night margarita. Keep yeah, it simple. that's just that is just way too much effort, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want something gritty against my lips as I drink something. Yay! Okay, so we're gonna talk about favorite historical things, just things in general. John, yes. you have anything for us? Yes, a book that I read when I was in eighth grade. It, it's Mouse, the the book, the set of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Mouse, um, which takes place in World War II and is drawn where the Jewish people are mice, the Nazi, the Germans and Nazis are cats, and the Polish people are pigs, and I think Americans are dogs, okay. if I'm remembering. I never read it. But that was one of the first like actual graphic novels that I ever read, and in eighth grade, we were doing a World War II Holocaust unit, and me, not being a real enthusiastic novel reader at the time, gravitated towards the book with pictures. But <laughs> it was very, I mean, like, you know, it, it's a comic, it's drawn, but it was very, like, I guess the best way I can describe it is, like, real. You know, I mean, it didn't hold any, it didn't pull any punches. It was very gritty and realistic and guttural graphic holocaust story and it was very striking to me at the time because i never really read a lot of comics adult comics before so i didn't really understand that they could i didn't know that they could be so punch you in the stomach gritty and realistic like that even i mean even though the characters are drawn as animals it was still very you know the history is all accurate and it's all there but that was just a real like game changer that changes your perception of a medium and it wasn't too long after that that I, I got like hardcore into comics but that one like sticks with me as one of the real like impactful historical stories that I've read or seen okay I have a question for you 
Yes. Do you know, or if you don't know, if you have any idea why the author chose to draw them as animals? Uh, I, I don't. I, I heard an interview um, with the author on NPR, and he talked about it, but I don't, I don't remember exactly why. I mean, maybe it's the juxtaposition of this real, this first, I don't know if it's first, I think the, the guy that wrote it and drew it, his father was mm-hmm. who the main character was based on. So, yeah, it's based on real events, you know, like it's real per, a real person, and it's not just a general story, it's this guy's father went through all, it's his father's story. I don't know the exact, the exact reason why he did that. Okay. Is it like if it makes it easier to swallow if it's not people? I don't know that it makes it easier to swallow. It's still pretty awful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's terrible. It's all the 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 misery and sadness you would imagine for a Holocaust story. I don't know. I, I think it was just. Aww. Yes, yes, Marty. That's right. I think it was just to sort of help along the perception of the characters, mm-hmm. maybe. Okay. I don't have a straight answer for you. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah, because I, I was just wondering, like, I know we'll do Nazi Germany as mice. Like, okay. Sure. Yeah. All right. Michelle, what have you got? So I recently read The Book Thief by Marcus uh, Zuskaks. Jeez, you too. I know. So we're, I'm going World War II as well. So I know that the movie came out. I did not see the movie. I heard mixed reviews about it. Um, but the book I thought was really, really intriguing and really worthwhile. So it follows Liesl Menninger, and she is given up by her mom. It's unclear why exactly, but pretty much like it sounds like her parents are communists and the Nazis force her to give her daughter up. So it's her relationship with her foster parents. Her foster parents end up hiding a Jew in their basement. And... It was a really interesting look about someone who's in Nazi Germany, but not sympathetic to the Nazis and really just trying to survive in Nazi Germany when you're not a Nazi. And I thought the story was really intriguing. The characters were really rich. And uh, Liesl is just like a little girl. She's 10 when the story uh, begins. One of my favorite parts of the novel, which is definitely a novel, it's not historical at all, but it's narrated by death. Mm Mm-hmm who obviously, you know, he talks about how very busy he is at the time, you know, in World War II. (laughs) But it's a really beautiful book. It's a really sad book, obviously, since we're in World War II. But it's really kind of eye-opening because I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about what it would be like to be a German in in Nazi Germany but not be a Nazi. Mm -hmm. Like, all the kids are signed up. They have to go into the Hitler Youth. Like, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's just like what you do. Even the woman. Yeah, Liesl joins the Hitler Youth group. What do they wind up doing? Um, it kind of sounds like Girl Scouts, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much like they do crafts and they, they sell eat. schnitzel cookies. <laughs> <laughs> no, no cookies, no door to door. But um, they talk about uh, Liesl has a really good friend, Rudy Steiner. And he, like, the male Hitler youth, it's a lot of, like, a- physical activity and stuff like that. And the girls, Liesl doesn't really talk too much about, you know, what her thing is. It, it pretty much sounds like crafts and things like that, helping out around the around the village. But Is she aware of what's going on? 
she's very aware of what's going on. Okay. And she and she's told by her foster parents like one one day she she figures out a little bit of what's going on and she's like pretty much like fuck Hitler (laughs) and her foster dad is like you know almost strangles her and slaps her and is like you can't say that you can say that at home but you can't say that out here and we have to give this appearance so that Max the Jew that they're hiding won't die like we're all gonna die if this happens this is if we get raided yeah if we get raided this is gonna be bad this is gonna be really bad we're all gonna die so it's it's really really intriguing, and I'm sad that the book that the movie didn't sound as awesome as the book was. But I really really do think it's worthwhile reading. Yeah, the the perspective is definitely the coolest part. Um, yeah. Although I'd be weird about death speaking and not in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a hard um a hard pill to swallow. But <laughs> I, I think I think having death as a narrator is so interesting because we have. Especially in a book about World War II, right? So he tells us how the book is going to end right at the very beginning. It's death. But it's also somebody who, if you think about it, who death, what death might be like at the end of World War II is like really tired, really ragged, really... (laughs) All right, that's enough. I'm going back. (laughs) Really disappointed with humanity. So... um, It's like one day y'all get a break, have fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a piece... I'm out. I can't can't do this anymore. Yeah, so. I like I, I like the idea of like death as a pal. So I mean, he, he doesn't the one who mm-hmm. kills you. He's just the one who's you know going to go for a walk with you. He's actually kind of a bro about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, is this one kind of spooky, or is he? Does he like kittens, like Terry Pratchett? Yeah, he's really not that spooky. He talks about how he tries not to develop relationships with people, but he's met Liesel a few times, and he. Pretty much. It sounds like he loves her. And Why has so, he met her a few times? Ooh. Um, she's had some encounters with death. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Lisa lives a tough life. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Is she, like, aware he's there, or is he just, like, looking down from above? That's a very good question. So, death is narrating, so it's unclear, but it sounds very much like she's aware that he's there. Okay. From what he says. Okay. So. Now, I just I just finished watching True Detective, so is she aware that Death the character is there, or that Death is all around them? Uh, death the character, but oh, okay. also, also Death in general. Just trying to ask the deep questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, she's, she's very aware that this is, that people die. Yeah, this is one Jada 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. Well, I, I'm going to bring it back a few yeah. <laughs> thousand years. And instead of uh, ancient Greece, I'm going to talk about ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. I've read, yeah. I've read my share of ancient Greece, but that uh, does not compare to the breadth of Colleen McCullough's Masters of Rome series. Mm. There are, oh, I think there's seven. And I've read six because once Caesar dies, spoiler alert, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, whatever. I don't care about this Marcus guy because her Marcus. Aurelius is like a total twerp. Um, or not Marcus. Why am I saying Marcus Aurelius? I mean, Mark Antony. I'm getting all my emperors fucked up. Um, yeah, Mark Antony is just like a kind of ugly, weird looking twerp. Um, but it starts with Marius and Sulla and like the beginning of the empire instead of the Republic. And it goes all the way to Cleopatra and Mark Antony killing themselves. And there are pauses for civics lessons in here Mm -hmm. like there'll be chapters like 
you know, they'll say, you know, so-and-so's elected console. A console was blah, 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 blah. Are they footnotes or... Nope. It keeps right. it in the story. It's in the narrative. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And so while I, I like to read historical fiction because like, hey, I feel like I'm learning at the same time. Those were the skimmy parts mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like, I, flippity, flippity, yeah, flip. a little bit. And when it wasn't, it would go from that to being like horrifically disgusting mm-hmm. within pages. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Servilia, who is mother to Brutus and, mm-hmm. uh, Julius Caesar's lover for a while. I mean, she start her as a child. She's like a little shit, and then like her introduction as an adult in one of the books. I lose track because there's so many different characters who come and go throughout these. I don't remember. Like I would be at the end of the book and kind of vaguely forgot what happened in the beginning because mm-hmm. we're in like a completely different set of characters by the end. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're each like 700 pages at least. <laughs> but this character is introduced as an adult. By, like, trying to snatch her son out of her servant's hands, the son falls to the floor, so she flogs her servant and then crucifies her. And Whoa. Yeah. And it's got things like, she beat her until her back turned to jelly and there were gobbets of flesh flying in the air. And if that's the point, it seems burned in my head where I, like, put the book down. I was like, I need a break for a while. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it was... Sounds intense. It's very intense, but, like, especially when it gets to the Caesar stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called Caesar, and it's uh, him in Gaul and then becoming emperor for life. And that one is excellent. I mean, he's in, like, the majority of them. Because it starts as when he's a child and all the way to his death. But it, it's just, it's so interesting to see how, like, all these characters kind of interlock. And you can follow it up with I, Claudius and then see how the rest of the Julio-Claudians fared. Spoiler alert, it wasn't well. <laughs> they all freaking poison each other. It's the worst. But that series, that took up my life and, like, s- sent up my uh, my Goodreads page count. Because I-, I read all of them, like, in the course of a year. Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, you know, 5,000 pages. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Those are super intense. Like, the it's weird. Like, the Roman stuff is very political, like, the Roman historical fiction I read and the Greek historical fiction I read is very lyrical mm. and kind of, like, sun-drenched and magical. I mean, maybe that's just the stuff I'm picking, but, like, you know, the Mary Renault books, um, Song of Achilles, which just came out a couple of years ago, which isn't historical because it's Achilles and Patroclus and their actual centaurs and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's also excellent, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm being a broken record, but it's all the classical stuff. No, but that's awesome. Yeah. So I'll pick books, and is that because, like, historical movies tend to be just kind of full of it? No. <laughs> I was also going to mention, sorry to take it back to World War II, but I was also... <laughs> we all clearly have our mention, biases. I was going to mention Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. Because it takes history and it changes it, yeah. but it amps things up and it tells its own story. And I like the idea of going to, you know, actual events that happened in history and then just changing things to tell us, because, you know, sort of like, in a what if fashion, Mm -hmm. you know, it it takes history and it's like, all right, you know what happened. You know that Hitler, you know, killed himself when he knew that he was going to be defeated. But what if, uh, what if the son of a bitch got what he really deserved? So I like the fact that it, it wasn't historically accurate, but it knew that, and it, it changed things up. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I felt in 300 Rise of an Empire, where, like, you're fudging so much anyway, you might as well go all in and just, like, yeah. 
have the Persians win. I've been thinking about that a lot because, like, if the Persians had taken over Greece, we our society as we know it would be completely different. Mm. And I'm not saying for the worse. I'm just saying it's different. And Definitely. that would have been fascinating. And I actually, I mean, this is all mixing together because I just read uh, the book called To Say Nothing of the Dog, mm-hmm. um, which is a time traveling book. And it like makes explicit, like, if we don't do this thing, all these things will happen. And it, it's tied into World War II, where they're in Victorian England, but the child of these people who wind up not meeting because these people are meddling was, like, running a raid in Coventry, and uh, which is what set off Hitler. And, you know, it basically, the Nazis would have won if this wow. child wasn't born. Um, but it's also, like, a take on Three Men in a Boat. It's very charming and funny. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's also, like, what if the Nazis had won is its own genre. And I've read a whole bunch of books mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a fun question to ask. Is like, you know, what if the Persians had won? What if the Nazis had won? Yeah. Not to equate the Persians and the Nazis. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a fun mental exercise. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's, it's fun. What if, what if the yeah! Nazis took yeah. over the world? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's usually, like, I would like to see that story. <laughs> I mean, it, Hitler was such a fuck up that like they usually kind of end with, well, they kind of implode and everything goes back to normal. Well, that's good. Yeah, well, it's just like a brief dalliance in total fascism all over the world. Yay! Yay! This has been the cheeriest segment ever. I know. <laughs> it was interesting. Like you know, it's it's a good era to read about. Yeah, I, because it's it's also. Oddly, not that long ago. Well, yeah, and you're actually getting like firsthand accounts too. Or, yeah, like, you you can rely on people who actually were there and remember it. I'm going on hearsay with all my classical <laughs> stuff. Very much so. Yeah, it's all like oh, it's fudge a little bit. So yeah, that makes it interesting. So thank you guys. Yeah. All right, we ready for one more drink? Then we're gonna do geek of the week. Sounds good. Yep. All right, let's do geek of the week. Brb. Brb. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just say bingo. Bingo! How fun! And we're back, and we're going to end this episode the same way we end every episode with our Geek of the Week. That's our chance to talk about what we've been reading, watching, playing, doing, etc. So, Michelle, what else have you been doing besides The Book Thief? We just watched the newest episode of Bob's Burgers, which feels feels like it's been gone for forever since the Olympics. But it was awesome. That show continues to surprise me. Oscars. Oh, the well, that's that was Thursday. Yeah, strike that from the record. Yeah. (laughs) So, but no, that show continues to be awesome. It is hilarious. The storyline this week was awesome. It was just three different stories. Uh, that were created by the kids, and so we had, like, a three-act kind of, I don't know, adventure. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I saw recently that uh, Bob's Burgers is on Entertainment Weekly's 10 Most Funniest Shows on Television, mm-hmm. which I would agree with. Yeah. yeah. Mean, it had a lot to do with Ace John Benjamin. Yeah, we've been yeah. watching, it's funny, we've been watching Archer a mm-hmm. lot, too, recently. It's back on Netflix! Yeah, I know! Yeah, we're gonna be, that... That's that. There's a very good chance that's going to be my geek of the week uh, <laughs> next time I'm on. Yeah, but watching Archer and then watching Bob's Burgers, H. John Benjamin is awesome. He has a lot of interesting, like range. Even though his voice sounds exactly the same, he I believe that he is both characters. 
So I think that's pretty cool. It's pretty easy, I guess, too, when you don't have to yeah. physically pretend yeah, to right. be both Archer and, and Bob. But. I heard him say in an interview once that when he records Bob's voice, like his shoulders hang down and he's very like slouched over. And then when he records Archer, he st sticks his chest out and you know like he holds himself much more upright. So I, I think when you visualize him doing that, I mean, you can... Yeah. It, it, I think it comes through. Yeah. So have you guys not watched season four of Archer? Well, that's what we're about to start. So you yeah. haven't seen any of it yet? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will be curious to know what you think about that. <laughs> we will let you know. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so, John, besides Bob's Burgers, what have you been up to? In the comics realm... I read some of Mark Millar's uh, latest stuff, Jupiter's Legacy, which I've been reading. That's great. That's the story about this uh, this family who gets superpowers back in the day, and then they raise their kids to be superheroes, and the kids, as you might imagine, grow up with all sorts of issues, and the son makes like a, a, a power play with the uncle to take over the country, and it goes wrong. But it's, it's, it's another one of those like really nice fresh, interesting takes on superhero genre. And then I also read Starlight by Mark Millar, which was the first issue of that debuted with a, a new and different artist, Goran Parlov. That story is a little bit different. That's more of like a Flash Gordon type story where this guy, he was like a test pilot and he gets lost out in space and becomes like this great action hero on this other planet and comes back and tries to talk about his exploits and nobody believes him. And the story picks up where this has happened some time ago and he's older now and then the aliens from this diff from this other world that he was on come back and say, we need your help again. <laughs> so that's just getting started, but I was pretty impressed by it. I, I like all the stuff that... Mark Millar is doing with Kick-Ass and, you know, some of his other books. He's he's really creating, like, his whole... He actually has uh, an imprint called Millar World, and he's got, like, all these creator-owned properties that have all been pretty good. All right, awesome. So, I saw the gifts online of Tom Hiddleston and Coriolanus, the uh, Shakespeare that was put on at the Donmar Warehouse. So, uh, it was playing at, you know, an artsy-fartsy theater um, like a simulcast from London. Mm -hmm. So I got tickets for that. I didn't realize it was 10 in the morning, not 10 at night. <laughs> it's, oh. a, it's a three hour production, so it's painful either way. But I basically <laughs> woke up early to watch that. Um, but I actually did a ton of prep work before because I was afraid of just getting so caught up in like whatever the hell they were saying that I have no clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I read it, but I also watched the Ray Fiennes movie that's on Netflix which is a modernized version of the story. And that definitely helped it make a lot more sense. I'm like, okay, I vaguely kind of know what scene we're in right now. They're like, oh, he's just, you know, yelling at the people and telling them that they stink and that, you know, they are subhuman. And then he gets this character who's running for consul gets kicked out of the city, mm -hmm. rightfully so. But it's, it, it was interesting to see, like, Ray Fiennes versus Tom Hiddleston and their different approaches. And it's always funny, like... I don't necessarily pick up on the humor in Shakespeare when I'm reading it. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely when I'm when you see it. Yeah, but when you read it, it's totally different. Yeah, so seeing it performed... Like, I, I saw Macbeth when I was in London, and I didn't realize that there were parts of it that were funny. Mm. Like, you know, after he sees Banquo at the you know table, and Lady Macbeth is, basically goes, what the fuck was that? 
And, like, there's this pause, and she just goes, what? It was great. So, yeah, there was definitely I, Hiddles, who's, you know, charming, just standing <laughs> Hiddles. there. Yeah. Um, at one point, he's in a shift, and we're playing that is-he-wearing-underwear game. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was it was fun to, you know, see him, in, like, because he loves Shakespeare so much. So it, it was good to get some culture and also watch one yeah. of the sexiest British people alive. Or just people alive. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> in Coriolanus. So that's what I've been up to. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was, like, watching TV all weekend. Saw, like, 300 Pump A Coriolanus. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that just about wraps it up for this episode. I want to give you guys a chance to give us shout-outs and let us know where we can find you online. Starting with John. You can find me on Twitter at DrawTheStory. And Michelle? You can find me on Twitter at TracingRays. Fantastic. You can find me on Twitter at Nero's Liar. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Tisby Podcast. And then you can also find our website at tisbycast.com. That's T-I-S-B-C-A-S-T dot com. That's where we have all our episodes, some blog posts. We've got a new one from Rob up there about uh, binge watching television, which is relevant because of House of Cards. And I finally finished Orange is the New Black like months later. <laughs> so I'm just behind on all this stuff. I am super relevant, you guys. <laughs> but also links to our Tumblr, Facebook, again, our Twitter. We'll get MySpace on there. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of current. Um, sure. So that's, that's our hub is tisbycast.com and as usual, I have zero idea how to end this episode. John, I expect you to do your Leonidas. Oh my god, we haven't had any impressions Uh yet! Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um. This is Sparta! (laughs) Kick. What accent was that? (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) It's... I like it. It stays in the picture. Sure, kid. Sure. (laughs) What I thought of after. We'll just leave it to Chris. Uh, yeah, you'll get an ending. Yeah. <laughs> That's often like a catchphrase. <laughs> Kristen will edit it out. Yeah, she'll edit it out. This is serious business. Yay! Yay!